0: Well, all year, the annual theme of our preaching ministry is learning the way of Jesus. And right now, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Redeeming Regular Life. Redeeming Regular Life. Now, this series is from the household codes found in the epistles or the letters in the New Testament in the Bible. And these are letters from the apostles of Jesus to various uh, churches around the Roman Empire in the first century A.D., Now, in their day, household codes were common, and they addressed the way our basic relationships, meaning regular life, ought to work. But the apostles wrote on these things from a uniquely Christian perspective, showing how the gospel and the way of Jesus changes everything. And so far we've covered redeeming marriage, sexuality, singleness, and parenting. And if you missed any of those messages, you can always go back and watch or listen online if you'd like. But today we'll move on to another important topic that most of us spend most of our waking hours doing for our lives, which is our work. Now think back, what was your first job that you ever had? What was, maybe if you're young, you haven't yet had a job. Your job is just growing up and going to school and doing those things. Okay, Uh, but what was the first job that you had? For me, it was throwing bargain bulletins at houses while I rode my bike around my neighborhood. Um, I don't know what your first job was. I definitely applied to Dairy Queen, which was near my house, and was rejected as a dilly dipper, (laughs) which I'm still bitter about to this day. But fortunately, my career path after that trended up. (laughs) So I was not deterred by the Dairy Queen. Well, so this, our work is something that most of us spend most of our waking hours doing for most of our lives. And as I've said before on this topic, if we don't understand how the way of Jesus impacts and transforms our work, we are going to miss a huge part of life and how our faith connects with our work. Now work, for our sermon this morning, can be done in the home or outside the home. It can be paid or unpaid. There is a a ton of very helpful and good work that is done without a paycheck. So, but how does the way of Jesus transform our work? What would be a uniquely Christian perspective on the relationships that we have in our workplace? Well, if you have a Bible or Bible app, please take it and open it to Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 22. Colossians 3, verse 22. We'll put it up on the screen for you as well. So we're going to read through this text and then we will unpack it together. Verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven." This is God's word. Now, before we go any further, we have to address the elephant in the room and remember that slavery in the first century AD in the Roman empire was very different than what many of us think of slavery from our nation's history. So first, slavery was widespread, not a majority of people oppressing a minority. Uh, During this time, up to 50% of the Roman Empire would have been considered a slave or a bond servant, as is sometimes used in different Bible translations, with nearly every civilization in history practicing slavery. So second, slavery wasn't exclusively based on race. War captives and debt were the two main sources of slaves. Um, And third, slavery wasn't usually lifelong. Uh, First of all, you could volunteer to be a slave, which is different than our cultural understanding. But voluntary slavery was a normal means of escaping poverty. And household slaves could rise to become trusted confidants with great responsibility. Think in the Bible of Joseph, who was a slave in Potiphar's house in Genesis. So for all these reasons, this ancient view of master-slave or master-bondservant, that relationship is probably closer, although it's not exactly the same, but it's closer to an employee-employer relationship uh, in work today. To be clear, the Bible does not approve of slavery as an institution. The Apostle Paul explicitly says that slaves, if slaves can gain their freedom, they should do so. And of course, one of the great implications of the gospel is freedom from the ultimate enslavement to sin. So with all that said, this is uh, necessary to understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about. In fact, I would say even here we see some of the ideas that are uniquely Christian about the relationship between a master and a slave undermine the very idea that a slave was somehow different in value than their master. In fact, it's hard to uh, imagine how slavery would ever have been abolished if not for the orthodox Christian teaching on the value of human beings as image bearers of God, regardless of race, class, or anything else, and the idea that our common faith makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. These are truly revolutionary ideas. So, okay, with all that said, let's go back and work through the text and what it says. Look back at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Okay, so the first thing that we see here is the way of Jesus changes how we work. In his letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul applies the principle that we've looked at several times found in Ephesians 5, verse 21, which is this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Paul doesn't include that principle here in his letter to the Colossians, but it's very much, uh, it very much pertains to that principle in his letter to the Ephesians. So Paul applies this principle of mutual submission, first to marriage and then to parenting, and now here to the relationship between slaves and masters. So for Christians, the same principle for our other household relationships ought to apply to our work relationships as well. Well, what does it look like to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ at work? Well, it means that we should do our job not only when other people are watching, when their eye is on you, Paul says, and not only to advance ourselves or personally benefit to curry their favor, but Paul says with, we should work with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So what does this mean? Well, first, sincerity of heart means that we put our whole heart into our work. Now, the heart in the Bible, it represents the whole inner person, including your mind, your will, and your emotions. So having sincerity of heart means both that we are fully engaged at work and not constantly distracted, but also that we would continue to learn and grow and engage our mind, heart and emotion, will and emotions in whatever field that we're in. Christians believe that God is working within us and through us to transform us into the likeness of Christ. So that means not one of us is stuck in who we are. We are all dynamic and being transformed by the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we learn and grow and mature, we ought to apply this to our workplace as well and our work relationships therein. But having sincerity of heart, so we talked about sincerity of heart, let's talk about sincerity of heart. This also means that we ought to be known as people of integrity in our workplace, that we will be sincere, that we will be honest, that we will follow through on our commitments. In other words, people should know that our yes will be yes and our no will be no, that we will say what we'll do and we will do what we say. Now again, this isn't just to get ahead of our coworkers or the competition or to climb the ladder of success in our career or our field. The Apostle Paul gives a uniquely Christian reason in saying that slaves should work like this out of reverence for Christ. He continues with this point in verse 23. Let's look at that again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Okay. That's pretty clear. So the way of Jesus changes how we work, but it also changes who we work for. Paul says that it is the Lord Christ you are serving in whatever your job might be. It doesn't matter what you do for work or whether other people look up to you or what you do for work um, and whether people tend to look down on you or what you do. It doesn't matter if your boss or your coworkers notice you or show a proper degree of appreciation and respect for your work. It doesn't matter how much you get paid or whether you get paid at all. We have a higher authority and no matter what we do for work or how others respond to or value our work, we actually work for him. When we serve others, we are actually serving him. When we speak to others, we are actually speaking to him. No wonder we're called to work at it with all our heart. Why? Because we have the privilege of working for the king of heaven. And we believe that one day Jesus will return and the dead will be raised and all will stand before him to give an account to him of our lives. And surely this includes what we did with our work and how we did our work. And it is this future day that Paul is thinking of when he says that we will receive an inheritance from him as a reward. Now, this is the only form of compensation. This is the only compensation and benefits package that should matter to us. It's the only one that will last forever. Money is important, don't get me wrong, but money comes and goes. Recognition and honor might feel nice, but those two come and go. But the inheritance that Jesus gives Includes not only the riches of the whole kingdom of heaven as adopted sons and daughters of God, but Jesus himself. He is our reward. And by faith in him, we can be assured of this outcome. We don't have to wonder if it will turn out in our favor in the end, like if God will somehow scale the good deeds of our life and hopefully let us in. That's not how it works. We can rest assured because God has promised this for our future by faith in his son, Jesus. We don't have to simply hope for the best. We can trust that this is our future. And this future hope changes how we think and how we act, including how we work in our present. But this is a broken world and and things don't always work how they're supposed to work. And sometimes people or systems or companies are inefficient or downright corrupt. So how does this future hope that Paul points to here apply in those situations? We'll look again at verse 25. Paul says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Okay, again, this is future hope that Jesus will return and judge the living and the dead and make all things new. This provides an answer to the brokenness of our work and our lives here and now. In that future day, Jesus will set every wrong to right for those who have faith in him. Every sin, every evil, even every snub or moment of disrespect or dishonor will be made right. He is perfect and He is a perfect judge. The Lord knows the thoughts and motives of the human heart and He doesn't show favoritism. Now, friends, this is such good news because God is not impressed or influenced by the things that impress us or influence us. He is not impressed or influenced by wealth. He's not impressed or influenced by power. He values all people and judges all people equally. Now, it may seem like some people, especially powerful people, get to do seemingly whatever they want and get away with it. I'm sure we could all think of examples of people like that. In our workplace, in our industry, or maybe in the world. Often in the business world, so long as you keep making money, most people are willing to overlook moral issues or problems with someone's character. Of course, that's not limited to the business world, is it? The end justifies the means from a worldly perspective. But my friends, people will not get away. We will not get away with evil and injustice forever. Even godly ends do not justify ungodly means. In the Lord's timing, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. Now this future perspective of judgment doesn't make evil and injustice easy to experience in the present, but it does help us endure when we have to, knowing that this is only temporary and that one day justice will be done. So the way of Jesus changes how we work, the way of Jesus changes who we work for, and the way of Jesus changes how we endure sin and suffering along the way. So Paul finishes this brief section by moving from slave to master, or for our context, maybe more from employee to employer. Is there any way to be a godly boss? Look again at chapter four, verse one. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, so for the Christian, again, it doesn't matter how high up the ladder you climb. It doesn't matter if you're the president or the CEO or the principal or the boss of everybody. There is one who is higher, there is one who has more authority. And we all are under his reign and rule. So how we treat other people, including the people who report to us, whether it be an employee, a bond servant, children, anyone that we have authority over, how we treat these people matters to God. The command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength means to love your neighbor who was created in his image and likeness as well. Paul says that masters are to provide their slaves what is right or just. So if you are responsible for other people in your workplace, one of the things that you owe them is what is right and just. If you're responsible for others in the workplace, then what would it look like to supply them with what is right and just? Well, the people you supervise need stuff. They need the proper tools to do their job. They need feedback and correction if they're not doing something well. They need opportunities to learn and grow and improve at their jobs, and they need encouragement along the way because we all need encouragement in life. Work can be hard and discouraging, but our leadership and our influence over others doesn't have to be. But people also need us to be fair. They need fair compensation. They need fair treatment from one employee to another or from one year to the next. Even if you're over someone in your role at work, they shouldn't feel as if you are looking down on them. Why? Because Paul reminds us, you also have a master in heaven. Jesus is our Lord, not just of our salvation, but of our whole lives, every part, including our work. Just as we should work as if it is the Lord Christ we are serving, so we should also lead as if it is the Lord Christ who leads us. And this is revolutionary. Because of the person of Jesus, because of who Jesus is, this changes everything. Well, who is Jesus? Well, he is the one, if you might recall, who left the comfort and riches of heaven in order to seek and to save the lost. It was Jesus who came in humility to live the perfect life and die a sacrificial death on the cross for our sins and then rise again from the dead. It was through the humility of Christ that he was exalted to the highest place. He gave up everything so that we might gain everything. This is the person and work of Jesus. Jesus had supreme authority. And what did he use his supreme authority to do? To rescue us. To provide forgiveness and power over sin and death. To welcome us into his family. To give us life eternal in his kingdom and on and on. If this is how our master in heaven was willing to treat us, then I think that radically changes how we think about those who are entrusted to our care in our workplace, whether it's in the home or outside the home. These people are not objects to be used, but people to be loved and led well. And we're not there only to gain from them financially or maybe to increase our status or our influence in the world. Like Jesus, we must use our positions of influence to influence others for good, for their good. Well, how do we apply this teaching today? What do we do with this today? Well, there are so many ways, I think, to apply this teaching. There's so many ways that our faith connects with and transforms the way that we work. But I'll just leave you with three thoughts today. Number one, hard work is godly. Number two, wealth does not equal worth. And finally, Jesus gives us rest. So first, hard work is godly. Okay, we see this from this passage, that how we work changes for the follower of Jesus. It doesn't depend on whether or not anyone is watching. I've seen some of the people that work remotely that have little programs that move their mouse around to make their, like, spying bosses think they're still... Engaged in working. That is not okay for the Christian. This is not what Paul is talking about. It doesn't depend on whether anyone is watching or monitoring our screen. It doesn't depend on how much we're getting paid either. It is important, but Christians are called to work as if the Lord Jesus was our boss, that he is our master. So surely that means that with all of our heart, our effort must be given We must give our all. Now, of course, there are seasons of work when we're more busy and seasons when we are less busy. That's not what I'm talking about. But to work hard and to try to offer our best is right and good if Jesus is our boss. Now, if we zoom out and think about work throughout the whole Bible, we see this principle at work. We find that it is actually God's work that becomes a pattern for our work. God worked in creation. God worked throughout history guiding and protecting and providing for his people. God, of course, worked in salvation, especially through the person and work of Jesus. The cross was work. And ever since, God has worked in sustaining life and saving and sanctifying us by his son and spirit. So this means that work isn't simply a product of the fall to sin. Work is not inherently part of the curse. Human work was part of the creation mandate of humanity to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to work the garden and take care of it, and so on. So when we work hard in life to bring life where there is no life, we're working like God. When we work hard to bring order into chaos, we are working like God. When we work hard to bring light into darkness, we are working like God. Now, of course, this is a broken world, as I've said, and sometimes sin impacts and of course affects our work in ways that are sometimes obvious and sometimes not. Which leads me to point number two. Wealth does not equal worth. So one of the main idols of our work, one of the main things that can replace God in our hearts and our minds and imagination is money. And that money often comes from our work, what we get paid, our income, our salary, and so forth. And it can be tempting to think that our personal worth is tied to our income or the wealth that we're able to earn from our work. But this is simply not true. Just as a baby has value and worth in the womb, not because of its potential or age or whatever, but because it is an image bearer of God, so in the same way does a person have value and worth regardless of how much money they make or save. This is why many jobs that are unpaid are still worth doing. For example, it's costly to have and raise kids. You can say amen if you'd like. <laughs> the pay is terrible, but it's one of the most important jobs we could do. Whether it's raising your own biological children, or fostering kids, or raise, helping raise someone else's kids through serving or seeking to influence them here in church, in childcare, in midweek, youth group, or whatever. Our culture says that the more money that you make, the more important and valuable you are, but this is not true. This is why wealth is such a common idol. But if the gospel is true, and if Jesus died for all people, regardless of wealth or class or title or accomplishments, then our wealth does not equal our worth. Finally, As we close today, even though hard work is godly, I want to end with an invitation to rest. Jesus gives us rest. My friends, we work in a broken world, and it can be exhausting. We call it a rat race, and honestly, some days, it feels worse than that. Sometimes, our work just doesn't work out. Sometimes our projects or our positions fall short of our expectations. Sometimes we might lose a job unexpectedly or we invest in something and it doesn't pan out. And these things can be so frustrating and difficult to deal with. Sometimes we might become close friends with our coworkers and those relationships can be a real joy. But other times, the people we work with can be some of the ones who test our patience and character the most. At my old job I had a very close coworker and we we traveled together we we met with customers together we did trade shows together we spent loads of time in the car together and he ended up dying of cancer and it was very hard on me and others in our workplace but remember it was God who not only Modeled rest in work, in his work of creation. But it was God who commanded us to remember the Sabbath and rest from our work. And it was Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So while we remember that hard work is godly, and we are careful to remember that our wealth does not equal our worth, through all the ups and downs of our work lives, through the joys and the difficulties of our relationships with our coworkers, and our bosses and cranky customers and other people that we get the delight of encountering in our work life, Through the victories, through the losses, we must remember that Jesus gives us rest. And this is not just rest for today or rest from a relaxing weekend. He offers us rest for our souls, both now and forevermore. So let us look forward as Paul did with eager anticipation of the return of Christ and the eternal rest that we will find in his kingdom. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have taught us to work and work hard. You have modeled for us how to work and rest. Lord Jesus, you have called us into the work that you, to join you in the work that you are doing in the world. And I just can't imagine a higher calling, a greater purpose to drive us ahead in our work. But Lord, we struggle. Sometimes we struggle to engage. We struggle to speak and act according to the character that we know that is your way. We struggle with the losses and the difficulties and disappointments of our work. So Lord, would you help us now Would you give us faith? Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us encouragement to continue to move forward and do the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do? We trust you and we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.